Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Emily Kaplan. Emily, what's going on? How much? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You, uh, you're probably a bit busier than I am today uh, with some big news. But, uh, you know, to keep this rights holders meeting going, I'm going to bring in the third member of this conversation, my other good buddy, Chris Johnson. Chris, what's going on, man? Rights holders, represent. My God, what is the initiation? Can I like, can you give me details? What do I need to know? Well, the first thing that you're going to learn is you're going to get a different pass when you go to a league event often. Oh, like sometimes you get like a different looking pass than the reporters and you can walk places up. that They can't. Well, Chris, I've been doing that before, but now I just won't get kicked out because I'm allowed to. Exactly. You don't have to. Now you don't Now You really don't have to worry about asking permission or anything like that. Oh, there's a brutal moment in the bubble where I um, stole Chris's perch and lighting and his camera guy was not too pleased. But in true Canadian hospitality, he turned around and, and lit the shot for me because he was a good guy. And then he talked to ill of you behind your back, which is all very Canadian, like right down to it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Passive aggressive. Um, all right, guys. So this is what we're going to do today. We're, I, uh, I gave you guys some homework. I, I thought it'd be fun to do our midseason awards ballot. And it's crazy to think it's midseason already because it feels like just yesterday, Siege, that I was doing my preseason things we're excited to watch this year podcast with you. It feels like that was literally yesterday. And now we look up, look up and, you know, there's certain teams like the Stars, I think, that still are, are a bit behind in terms of their games played. But for the most part, we are kind of approaching that halfway point where certain teams are getting up to 30 games played now. And it's crazy how uh, this is kind of just sped up in the blink of an eye. I'm very much here for it, to be honest. It's a uh, it's a weird year as someone who's going to a bunch of games. Uh, so I'm I'm happy that we're getting closer and closer to getting back to the real thing. So. I thought it'd be a fun and useful exercise for us to go through our ballots, acknowledging that a lot can change here in the next 20 to 25 games. We're still only in the first half, but 
kind of gives us a chance to take stock of what's happened, highlight some notable performances, and get set for what should be uh, an even bigger sprint in the second half of the season here. So let's just get right into it. We're going to do all of the main individual awards that you see um, every year, but we're also going to sprinkle in some fun ones that we made up um, just to mix things up. But let's start with the Calder. Uh, Emily, I'll let you go first. What are you thinking right now in terms of uh, the most impressive rookie for you so far in the first half? So for a lot of the season so far, I would have said Kevin Lankinen. I just think he's been absolutely fantastic. I've used this analogy a couple of times, but when I covered the NFL, there's this adage, if you have two quarterbacks, it means you don't have one quarterback. And I was like, damn, the Blackhawks have three goalies. That means they have zero goalies. Uh, Negative one goalies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this kid emerged has been awesome. But um, I, I'm curious to see if he hits the rookie wall. Someone I don't think is going to hit the rookie wall. And I'm guessing this guy is number one on both of your lists. I love Tim Stutes. I think he's been awesome. Uh, but it's Kirill Kaprizov. He has just changed the complexion of the Minnesota Wild. He frankly makes them fun to watch. Um, I was in Moscow a year ago, January, right before the pandemic at the KHL All-Star Game. And like everyone I asked, I said, who's the next big thing here? Who's going to be a star in the NHL? And Every single person said Kirill Kaprizov. He's got that it factor. Yeah, I think it's amazing that he came in with just unreal set of expectations. Like, obviously, when someone like Alexi Lafreniere, for example, gets picked first overall, everyone has expectations. But it is a teenager, and they were playing against significantly different competitions. So you you kind of give them a bit of time to get growing pains in. And we've seen other 18-year-olds have tough rookie seasons and then come back and and, and thrive. Uh, but with Kaprizov, like, we'd seen him dominate the KHL, and it felt like people were waiting and kind of keeping tabs on him and you were wondering, okay, what's this going to look like when he comes over? And obviously the comparisons to Panarin were obvious, but it seemed also kind of lazy to be like, Oh, just two skilled Russian guys are going to have the exact same impact on the league. And, and CJ, I think the only real pushback that I've heard so far or case against Caprizov being the runaway favorite here is that he's not a quote unquote true rookie because he's turning 24 years old here in a couple months and he's got five years of pro league experience already under his belt. And it's kind of apples and oranges comparing him to a guy like Tim Stutzla, who's a a teenager. Um, Are we going to take Panarin's award away from him? Is that what's going to happen? We can't give that award back to him. Well, yeah, exactly. And and, and so CJ, where, where do you stand on on that argument? And also just, uh, you know, Caprizov and everything else in this race. Well, it's worth talking about because others are, but I, I don't stand anywhere in it. Like to me, it, under, under the, the guidelines are given to a vote on the award. He's, he's clear. <laughs> so he's winning it. I think uh, he's certainly leading it at this point. Um, you know, I understand what people are saying with that, but we can only vote based on what the, the rules are. Right. I mean, it was, it was actually years ago, Sergei Makarov won the rookie of the year and that's when they put in, you know, the age limit initially because he was, mm-hmm. I think, you would think he was early 30s when he won it as a, a NHL rookie. Um, you know, this is a similar thing. You know, Kaprizov played six seasons in Russia in the pro league before coming here, but um, we're judging the best NHL rookie, and it's pretty clear to this point in the season that's him. Well, and also I think these are such. I mean, they're unique circumstances for everyone, but like for a player like him who is coming from you know, an entirely different league, but also an entirely different culture. And he's kind of trying to acclimate himself in North America here in this year where you're getting a short uh, training camp, you're getting no preseason, getting thrown right into the fire. And for him to pretty much from literally from day one, I mean, he had what three points and and the overtime winner in his NHL debut, and he's kind of carried it over throughout. 
And at the same time, like Emily, you bring up Kevin Lankinen. I think Kevin Lankinen's like two years older than Kaprizov. So certainly doesn't have the, the dominance in the pro leagues before. But listen, it's your first year in the NHL. And if you meet the age requirements, I'm, I have no issues with it. Yeah. Same here. Honestly, Stutzel is the only one, you know, because he's kind of coming on here. He had a bit of a slow start production-wise. He's the only one that I think will make that debate potentially have more fire when it comes time to vote for real. Because, you know, there's a, there's a scenario here where he continues to produce and the, the points are almost the same for the goals or what have you. And then that debate's real. But otherwise, I don't know. I think you got to vote for the best rookie. And dollar dollar bill, Kiro. I've got one dark horse, though. Right. Kapokokin and a rookie. He is. He's also older than Kaprizov, though. He is. That's why I asked if he was a rookie because he's been around, but he's had a real hot stretch lately. Like, if he, it would be tough because they're on the same team. But if he puts up the same numbers that he's put up the last week or so um, as we record this, I think he could walk himself in there. I think we have to, like, I, I, I think both of you probably agree with this, but just beyond the on ice impact, like, he, Kaprizov obviously has the points and all that, but like, he is single-handedly we talk about this as a team sport right he has single-handedly come in and just completely transformed an entire organization where people are watching the minnesota wild now they're talking about them you have idiots like me posting clips of him like it's it's just no one was when was the last time you had a a minnesota wild conversation in the past five years it didn't revolve around something wild paul fenton said like it's literally in terms of the on ice product it's been ages since probably since the peak marion gabrick that we saw a talent this dynamic in minnesota and for him to do that right out of the gate i think like transcends just the the point totals or the you know underlying metrics or whatever you want to use in this argument right and narrative works here you know like i think if chicago makes the playoffs and lincoln and finishes strong like there's, there's a world where he starts to get some support in that because I don't think anyone had the Blackhawks. I didn't see anyone predicting the Blackhawks making the playoffs this year, and he would have a huge hand in that. Where maybe it gets hurt is I didn't see too many people saying the Wild might be one of the best teams in the league, <laughs> and that's the way they're looking through half a season so far. So, um, you know, I, you're right. I think the Wild fans deserve this. I mean, it's not the, the, the spirit of what we're talking about, but, like, I've been to it's such a great hockey market and you're right. They've been starved for a, a talent and this is, this is real talent. I mean, and just watching these games, like, you know, no disrespect to guys like Victor Rask or Nick Bukestad or whoever, but like he's setting, he's like literally serving up these pucks on a silver platter for them to tap it in. And they're missing sometimes. And you think, you know, whether it's a Marco Rossi, hopefully he gets healthy and he'll eventually be in the lineup or some of these kind of more dynamic players they, they've drafted or even potentially pairing him up with Kevin Fiala. But you'd think as they surround him with more talent, you're going to see the the actual numbers sort of reflect just how insanely good he looks because like he's creating as much as anyone in the league right now in terms of like just high danger, glorious looks night in and night out. Um. All right, let's let's pivot here since we seem like we're we're in agreement there to the Norris. I'll let you start this one, CJ. Where are you where are you leaning with this one? I think it's got to be Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here's the thing. This is I mean this this over this stands for all the award discussion, but this is a this is a hard year to compare players across division, you know, strength of schedules, you know, in Kale's case he's missed some games. And so it's already a shortened season and he's not going to play 56 games because he's, he's been out. Um, but when I just look at the, the play driving metrics, you know, how much he suppresses what goes on in Colorado's end, 
I I think he this could be his year. I mean, I, maybe look, I don't always vote. Usually, the guy I vote for doesn't win. I find in most of these categories. I don't know if if I'm too ahead of the curve or I'm overthinking it half the time. But to me, Makar would be my pick. But this is it, I do think this is a this is one of the tough categories, and this is a particularly tough year to judge the best with with all the sort of mixed up schedules and everything. Emily, you were surprised there. No, I wasn't surprised. I was just surprised that it almost sounded like it was um, like it's got to be him. But then hearing Chris's reasoning, it makes sense. Honestly, the one thing I just wanted to point out here, and I'll tell you who I'm picking, but I think there's a sentiment of players in the league, and this is something that defensemen in the league, and they don't really verbalize because, again, hockey culture, they never want to talk about themselves. They never want to complain about anything. But they're damn set, like fed up of the guy with the most points every year being a finalist and winning. Um, and they're like, this is the best defenseman. And why are we not looking at the complete game? Um, and, and so when I think about that, um, and I think about, you know, what a lot of players would value in a defenseman, um, it does shift my thinking a bit. Charlie McAvoy has been a guy, um, that I've had my eye on for most of the year, just because of the role he inherited, like starting last year, he started to be really the number one, um, you know, and he was doing playing in all situations, things that Z did earlier in his career and their roles were flipped. Um, but this year, I just feel like he's taken it to a whole new level. He told me earlier in the year that his goal was to shoot more. Um, and his offensive numbers are higher than they've ever been. So maybe he can walk himself into the conversation with other guys. The other one I would mention is Victor Hedman. I mean, just night in and night out. He's just really good. Yeah, I'm with you, CJ. I think in his 15 games that he's played or whatever so far, uh, especially at the start of the season, I thought it was a no-doubter. I, I got to the point with Makara where... I wasn't even comparing him to other defensemen. I was like comparing him to McDavid and and McKinnon in terms of like just how explosive he was and how much he was creating. Um, And it reflected in the underlying numbers. Any way you look at it, he was playing significantly more this season. They were relying on him much more than they were last year where they kind of eased him in a little bit in terms of usage. Um, But he's missed a lot of time now and and we'll see how long he's going to be out. And in a 56 game season, if he's, if he winds up playing like half the amount of a guy like McAvoy or Hedman, I I think in terms of the value they provide to their team, that's a pretty significant disparity. And those are the other two names that, that I had on my list. I think McAvoy, I identified him like before the season in terms of like the Norris betting odds. I remember they were obscene and it's like, he's the number one defenseman on an original six franchise like, how is this not, how does he not get more national attention? I feel like it's bizarre that no one seems to talk about him. And it's because he doesn't put up a lot of points. And that's mostly just because he doesn't put up a lot of power play points. But if you look at any other play driving metric, um, and especially this year, how much they've relied on him without Krug and Chara there. But then it seems like everyone they've played with him, whether it's Jeremy Lozon or Matt Grizzlick at the start, uh, keep getting injured. Now Brandon Carlo's out. And so they're relying on him. Uh, to such a large degree and they haven't really experienced much of a drop-off defensively and he basically does the heavy lifting for them so I know it's kind of tough to separate him from their system and from their top forward line and kind of how inextricably linked they are but um, I really do feel like McAvoy deserves more attention as as being one of the best three to five defensemen in the league this season yeah and like losing two of their top guys too I mean that that's that, that's going to help his case, right? Because he is, as Emily mentions, like he's being used in a different way. He's getting a new opportunity and, or an increased opportunity, I guess. And, and, you know, there's been no slippage there from, from his performance. Um, you know, I, I'm open to that one and you're right. The, the missing games is going to hurt. I mean, 
what a freaking year. I don't know how we're going to do this for real, honestly. I actually like talking about it in this podcast format because there's lots of room to kind of like work around the gray. But when it comes time to like listing five players in order for each of these things, like it's already giving me like sweats, like thinking about how we're going to do this fairly and accurately. And it's going to matter in, you know, some of these players winning these awards gets them into the hall of fame or not. Like it's literally gets it when it comes to the end of their career. Like that's, that's a separator. Um, you know, anyway, that's a bit of a diversion, but yeah, well, I, I, do th- I, I'm fine with McAvoy. Like certainly nothing negative to say there. You know what, CJ? I, I'm sorry. It's causing anxiety, but I really respect how seriously you're taking your responsibilities here. Because if you look at the annual voting, you can tell that there's some people that do not take it as seriously and have probably not given it as much thought. So I understand it's kind of That's ultimately a silly CHWA thing. VP. <laughs> I know. expect nothing less exactly it's a leadership role you need to lead by example and that's clearly what you're doing here cj so kudos to you well i mean look sometimes there's not a right answer right like sometimes two very smart dedicated people that watch lots of hockey can have a differing opinion on an award i think but it's important you're reflecting as closely as possible what happened that year and and you know that's why like last year i had panarin winning the heart right he didn't win the heart mm-hmm. but that was my vote um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a terrible vote, even if we didn't win. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, it's not about being in the consensus. I think it's about, you know, being able to defend what you choose. And so I just think it's going to be very difficult this season. I do wonder if Victor Hedman is going to get more momentum as we go along here, especially if Tampa Bay keeps winning games at a ridiculous pace because, he leads defensemen in scoring. He's over a point a game. He is playing more than he really, I keep, I think two or three years ago, he played a bit more than he's playing so far, but his minutes had actually been on the decline just because they'd been trying to preserve him for extended playoff runs. And there was no need to kind of lead on him. And this year he's playing like, I think what 25, 25, 46 per game, which is just obscene. And he's the most commanding player on the ice. I feel right. Like it's, you feel so, comfortable like it just feels like it's gonna be okay when victor hedman's out there i know it's like not the most analytical sort of thing to say but i like the game against chicago the other uh last week where he scored the buzzer beater like he has the puck on the point with three seconds left and he's like moving away from the net and i'm i'm sitting at home yelling like victor what are you doing shoot the puck and he like loops around i'm like there's no way he's gonna get this off and he scores with like 0.0001 seconds left on the clock and i'm like he probably knew all along what he was doing and and not that he was expecting Mm -hmm. to score but it's like he just has like ice ice water and is running through his veins and after the postseason he had where i think a lot of people felt like he was tampa bay's most valuable player in that cup run um I wonder if there's going to be some more momentum here for him just to sort of solidify that people do feel like he is the best, most impactful defenseman in the world. Yeah, they've been, they had a couple of blue line injuries this year. I feel like their depth is being tested. They're clearly not really comfortable using Cal foot in a regular role. So um, if that continues to be the case, I would expect his minutes to stay just as impressive as they are. The one thing I wonder about Hedman like, I think there's like different plateaus, even for the elite players. Like I think Crosby kind of found it around 2016, you know, where it's almost like you have nothing to prove and it's just all gravy. Like that's, that's kind of like where I feel like he's at now. Like he, I know when he won the Norris a couple of years ago, it was a huge deal for him. He'd been nominated, you know, then he gets his cup. He wins a con smite me. Now it's just like, how great can this be? You know, is he, if he doesn't do another thing in his day, 
you know, as a, as a professional hockey player, he's going to the Hall of Fame. And so this is where the, this can be like the stacking part of the career where it can get really interesting. And you're right. He's probably the favorite. Like if we, if we were working for a betting company, just because of who he is, what he's done recently, the fact he's been there a little bit more than McAvoy doesn't mean he's, he went it over McAvoy, but I, I, you'd probably have to install him as the betting favorite uh, from the odds. And now I'm talking myself into him after starting with McCarr. So here we go. <laughs> We're hoping to provide more answers and clarity here, CJ, not questioning your original thoughts. Um, let's stick with the with the theme of sort of playing defense then and talk about the Selkie because this is sort of the most, uh, I guess the Jack Adams for me is very obscure in terms of how you define it and, and who the best coach is. But in terms of qualifying like who the best, most impactful defensive forward is usually that means who's the best defensive forward who also scores a lot of points and then you kind of like get into this gray area of okay like two-way ability how do you weigh offense versus defense and we get away from the actual original definition of the award itself but uh emily i'll let you go here first and then cj you can jump in after i'll tell you guys both my thoughts after but um how are you feeling about this one in terms of uh if anyone stuck out to you or just just theory wise kind of how you approach this one this is always my most, no, that's a lie. Lady Big is always my most difficult. I don't think that's something that writers should vote on. It's just, we don't know. Uh, that's the most gentlemanly play. And I feel like that should 100% be voted on by the refs. This is my second hardest just because the criteria is nebulous. It's it's the best defensive forward, but like, does it mean the best defensive forward who also happens to put up really good offensive numbers? Or is it just the best defensive forward period? Um, a couple guys have stuck out to me early. Um, I don't know if people are watching enough LA Kings games, but the veterans that they have kept around from the cup team, the five that are left are all playing at a really high level and really, really look good. Um, and the guy I'm talking about here is obviously Anze Kopitar. Um, it's just damn consistent every night. And the fact that he's still able to do this at his age with his body frame. Um, and just think how difficult that is. I'm, I'm just in awe of him all the time. Um, I think Sasha Barkov could get a good look here. Um, this, he's someone who, you know, I think he's graduated from most underrated player in the league. We all rate him as he is and the Panthers being so good. Um, I, you know, I, I really admire his work. Um, and then it's the usual subjects. You know, one guy who was on my ballot last year was Brad Marchand. And I always just find it so interesting that Bergeron always gets the love, but Marchand's just as impressive to me. Yeah. CJ, what do you think? Good breakdown. I, I, I had Barkov as, is my number one this year. Um, you know, just looking at his usage, you know, compared to other pretty good offensive players, he's, he's not starting a ton in the ozone. His underlying metrics are just ridiculous. Uh, he plays tons of minutes. I, I think he just click, you know, checks the boxes we're looking for here. And, and I agree with Emily because look, it's basically exclusively centers that have won this award. Um, which isn't an official criteria, but then if it is, you look at things like face-offs, you know, we, we, you know, there's a debate, I think about whether you have to kill penalties or how key of a penalty killer you have to be on your team. You know, I'm not sure the awards totally um, evolved with the way coaches use their players, but you know, I think it's Barkov's award so far. You know, I, I got time for Mark stone too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's definitely, I, I can't I actually don't recall my ballot in order. The last, He's been on my ballot, I think both the last two years, but I, I, I don't have it in front of me and I can't recall for sure. Um, but you know, I think he's had a great season, but you know, Barkov is where if I'm putting my chips down, he's, he's who I'm picking so far. I agree with that. And I love this, uh, glow up for Sasha Barkov because 
he'd been one of my most frustrating players the past couple of seasons because you could tell that no one was watching Florida Panthers games and they were just seeing people on Twitter say that he was underrated and that he was a good two-way player without actually verifying it or putting any work into it. Because if you took, if you just literally opened up his natural statric page, you'd see that the Panthers were just getting caved in defensively when he was on the ice. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a player's bad defensively. It just means that they haven't performed well defensively up until that point. And sometimes it's a simple, like it was with McDavid in the past, I think, where it's like he has to do all the heavy lifting offensively. Him and Jonathan Huberdeau are probably cheating a little bit to try and get out on fast breaks so they can score because if they don't, no one else on the team will. And his defensive numbers uh, suffered as a result. And this year, um, he's playing with Carter Verhage, Anthony Duclair, Frank Vetrano, and putting up just ridiculous numbers where whether it's high danger chances or expected goals or, or any kind of quality metric, um, the Panthers are amazing with him on the ice. And so I, I'm happy that he's finally living up to the reputation because I think people used to like look at him and you'd go, OK, he's skilled. He's big. He kind of moves around effortlessly. Physically, there's no reason why he shouldn't be good defensively. But for whatever reason, the numbers didn't actually support that idea that he was good defensively. You know, it's interesting. And I ta- I asked Bill Zito about this and he pushed back. But the caveat there is Bill Zito wasn't around last year. Um, and I don't think Barkov was himself last year. And I've heard a lot of people talk about it. His game wasn't there. And I think part of it, honestly, um, with the stresses and demands of playing under Joel Quinville and him as the captain, it was really taxing on him. And I don't think it was the easiest transition, but this year he just looks so much more comfortable. Um, and, and just, he's having fun. Um, Hoover Drill would say the same thing about, um, and yeah, he's making other guys great. Like Duclair is a guy that I look at and I know his production isn't there, but he's getting his chances. Like he, he they're, they're really generating a lot together. Yeah, they were. It's, it's interesting too. Um, yeah. like I haven't actually looked at the numbers, but they used to play him too much, right? I don't. I don't know if his numbers are down in ice time. Maybe they're not. But I just remember still, every time I looked at him, he was playing like twenty-four minutes a night. It felt like in the past. Yeah, no, he's playing like twenty-one this year, and I think that's sort of the right spot for him. Like clearly, physically, he can handle it. But you're right. At a certain point, I think there is a kind of a, a, a diminishing return if you're just like you have to kind of pace yourself because you can't go full blast every single shift. Well, and you got to be everything, as you're mentioning, for that team. Like in the past, he had to score, and he was re- relied upon for defensive things. And and like, you know, I don't even know how much deeper they are. You know, I think I got a few Panthers on my list to, to foreshadow what's coming. But like, this team is kind of interesting to me because I, I'm coming to the conclusion they might actually be pretty decent. That this isn't just a hot start or or an unsustainable run. And I still don't have a great answer as to why that is, to be honest. Let's, uh, yeah, you're right. When we come up with some uh, awards later here in the show, we'll uh, we'll get to that. The other guys I had on my list were Mark Stone, as you mentioned, and I wanted to give uh, Joel Erickson Eck a little bit of love too because uh, he's been really good. Um, let's take a quick break here. We're going to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to do the rest of the awards. I'm turning 30 this year, and as I'm sure as many of you can appreciate, once you reach a certain age, you tend to start to value things you probably never really cared or gave thought about when you were younger. One random thing for me that I've really started caring about recently is comfortable bed sheets. I need them to have a good thread count, I need them to feel nice, and I need them to smell good. It's a complete game changer when it comes to getting a good night of sleep, which is super duper important. And honestly, life's too short to be wasting quality time sleeping in anything less than the best. We should really all be striving to be feeling like a big toasty cinnamon bun bundled up in bed like Homer Simpson. Today's sponsor of the PDO cast, Brooklinen, can hook you up with just that because they've got everything you'll need to level up your snoozing experience from bed sheets to pillows to comforters. 
and they're so confident you'll like, enjoy their product that they're even offering a 365-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it. Just go to brooklinen.com and let them know we sent you by using the promo code HOCKEY. You'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, and they'll even toss in free shipping to sweeten the deal and get it to you at a reduced cost. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code HOCKEY, to get $25 off plus free shipping on orders over $100. All right, let's do the Vesna. CJ, tee us up here. Well, you're giving me the easy ones. I like this. I mean, yeah, the half. It's hard. I, I, it would be hard to build a. I mean, I guess Mark Andre Fleury's got to say here, but Andre Andre Vasilevsky to me, I, I don't. I don't even. I don't have anything to knock him down on. You know, the team is a little weaker in front of him. His numbers are tremendous. He's had you know quite recently here a long shutout streak. You know, he's been in this conversation. He's won this award before. If, if you were starting a franchise today, or if you had one game to win to save your life, he's the goaltender you're picking. I think he's been the best goalie in the league. And I think he's played a huge fact in the reason no one is working too many narratives about a Stanley cup hangover or anything like that. in Tampa. Emily, it's uh, unfortunately you have to make the case against Andre Vasilevsky here. Okay, cool. He sucks. He's terrible. I wouldn't want him on my team. Um, no, he's really, really good. I think he's the number one for me for sure. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury is number two. And then a guy that I find interesting is Semyon Varlamov. Um, he's making more starts than I thought he would. I thought it would be more of a timeshare, um, with Ilya Sorokin and, um, his numbers are pretty good. He's got three shutouts, a 9.29 save percentage. As we say, that's not quite as good as Vasilevsky and the flower, but he's a guy, I don't know if they something happens and he, he plays a ton towards the end um maybe he makes a run i think you the know, third spot you know how i we think we talk about the coach winning the jack adams because of his goalie the, the goalies win the vesna because of barry trots or at least get the love <laughs> right? like i think it, it works in reverse in long island yeah great point no it does i do think on there's going to be a lot of space on ballots for whoever the third goalie is so uh that's totally fair i think flurry's numbers are actually very comparable and line up pretty well with vasilevsky's I guess I feel more confident that Vasilevsky is going to keep this up because he's not 36 and he doesn't have Robin Leonard in theory coming back here sometime, sometime shortly and, and taking starts from him. Um, I think what Vasilevsky's doing is wildly impressive. And I think sometimes it's easy to uh, overlook it or kind of take it for granted because they're so loaded and they score a ton of goals and they, and he has Victor Hedman in front of him. And I think people kind of knock him for that. But I think the, the what impresses me the most is the durability here, right? Where, He's played 20 of the team's 24 games. He played every single minute of their 25 playoff games last postseason. If you combined the 35 games like to end last year and to start this year, he played a 35 straight uh, game streak for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the reason why I find that interesting is because one, a couple of years ago when he kind of became the number one and he took over from Ben Bishop, he like very publicly spoke about how the fatigue of an NHL season took its toll on him and how he was struggling with adjusting with the workload. And he's clearly adjusted very well. Um, and the second thing is they made this big investment in him. And usually I'm against paying goalies long-term and especially at a, at a high, uh, high dollar figure, but he's in year one of an eight year deal here. That's going to pay him 76 million. He's 26 years old, but if he's actually going to be able to play uh, this heavy, a workload without seeing his performance deteriorate, then that is incredibly valuable because then they can afford to basically just give Curtis McElhaney $1 million every year to sit on the bench and look cool wearing a hat. And that's a, that's a luxury, right? Like assuming he can do that, because I think when Montreal signed Carey Price, they were probably thinking he'd be able to do that too. And then all of a sudden 
he starts struggling under the workload and they're making a big deal about trading for Jake Allen and kind of giving him a backup goalie so they don't need to rely on him as much. And then you get into trouble with paying two goalies 15 million or whatever combined. So assuming Valsowski can keep this up and so far he has shown no signs of slowing down, uh, it's an incredible luxury. And, and he might he might be an anomaly at the position because he's certainly like physically um, just a complete freak and kind of unlike anyone else in the league that plays that position. He's an animal, honestly, like he's ripped, not to say he's the only goalie in the league that's ripped, but he's, he's a big, strong guy. Um, you know, what, Tampa, like what an embarrassment of riches in Tampa. Like, I think it's easy to forget because, because there's so many really good teams around the league. There are, and you look at what they have, but most teams you go like, yeah, they have this, you know, group of forwards, but you know, a little weak at this position, but it, like having a headman and a Vasilevsky and the forwards they have, you know, maybe they're going to go on one of these, these cup winning streaks that we haven't really seen too much in recent years, but um, you know, they, to me, they have the team to do it. And and the fact that he's played so strongly to start this year is probably, that might be the most important thing of all. I mean, Hedman being great helps too, but if, if he was for whatever reason struggled after the, the short turnaround, I mean, I, I, they did, they wouldn't have another answer. I would think and there was no trade to save them, uh, but he's the biggest reason I think they could win a second straight. It's funny. I was just thinking about that as you were saying that, CJ, of like, what other team would even come close to them in depth? And there's really no one these days. Like, I think when we began the season, everyone was super high in Colorado, but and maybe it's their injuries that are testing them, but I don't think they're nearly as deep. Boston's not nearly as deep this year. Toronto, you could probably make a case for. But like, what other teams out there? Vegas, maybe. But Oh, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Duh. You know, but Vegas maybe doesn't have the high end forwards when we're getting down to like the final four and they're in a conference final again. You know, we saw the goals dry up on them last year. Well, the touch already has been pretty awesome this year. He has, you know, I'm not, I'm not dogging them by any stretch. I'm just saying like right. when we're comparing the top five or six teams in the league. You know, I, that's what I mean. The other teams, I think there's questions about, and I don't really question anything about Tampa. I mean, you just, if you're them, you just hope that Kucherov comes back. He's healthy and get back to being who he is. And, and, you know, if that happens by the playoffs, uh, I, I'm not sure who I'm picking over them. Yeah, I thought Kucherov was their best player last postseason. And so to remove him and not really miss a beat at all is is ridiculous and, and unfair. Um, the Jack Adams, Emily, let's keep the let's keep the trend going of giving you the, the really difficult categories. Although I'm going to give CJ the heart. So that's going to be a, a very oh, contentious one. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Jack and Adams, go for it. You know, I don't even know if this is that hard this year. There's like one guy to me that is just totally, to me, it's always either the team, the guy that's led his team to unparalleled heights, the John Cooper, when the lightning, you know, break all their records, or it's the team that no one expected anything of and the young plucky guys and the coach leads them to the playoffs. And for me, that's Jeremy Colleton. Like as CJ You're said, such a homer. No, and I'm really <laughs> not because like, I don't even know Jeremy Collinson that well. We had one sit down. He's never really given me the time of day. He's a nice guy, but like, honestly, I'm just so impressed with the work they've done. If you think of the hand they were dealt, um, of how disengaged the fan base was after they sent, sent out that ladder, how some of the veterans were pretty pissed off about it, how right before the season, you find out you're not going to have Kirby doc. You're not going to have your captain. Um, you're not going to have Alex Nylander either. You, you trade a bunch of people. And the fact that they're as good as they are, um, he wins it for me. Now, I I agree with the logic, but if Kevin Lankinen wasn't having 
a Calder finalist season, is this even a conversation? Like if Colin Delia is their starter, um, yeah, you know, not, you can gave GM's jobs and goaltending can win Jack Adams. Yeah. CJ, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Where are you at on this one? Cause I think it's wide open. I, I'm, I'm, I, I have like four guys that I think could very easily win it. I've got Joel Quenville his uh, Jeremy I do as well. successor. Um, yes. But you know, this isn't one that I, it's not that I, I think it's a bad choice, but I don't feel like he has to be it or, or no. bust or anything like that. I, I just think how poorly it went last year for him is first year in Florida. The fact that, yeah, they, they brought a bunch of guys in, they made some trades, what have you, but I, I don't think any of those deals generated significant buzz in the hockey community to the point. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, you know, watch out for the Panthers and they're holding their own that division. Um, you know, I take him, you know, in the past I've tended to back the, the, the coaches that have coached the best teams, you know, the guys that actually never win the award, but I think deserve it. So I I'd be open to like a Barry trots too, you know, because I think the Islanders are legit again, even though no one wants to give them their love, uh, despite getting to the conference final. Uh, Death taxes and discounting the Islanders until they get to the conference final. <laughs> right. It, until they just bludgeon us with two, one games all playoffs. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going with Joel Quenville. Yeah. I, the reason why I struggle with this award is because I do think such a large part of the gig happens behind the scenes or just not privy to it. Um, like I think it's easy to see when a coach is doing a bad job because like players are just not being played enough or being missed, like not deployed properly, or they're running a weird system. that doesn't make sense given the talent they have, but when it's a good coach, it's usually like, Oh, it's either a great team. And then you're not sure whether it's John Cooper is doing an awesome job or whether he has seven superstars or it's a team that comes out of nowhere. And it's like, all right, well, they're probably going on a PDO bender, which we've seen in the past, certainly with Patrick Waugh and, and Bob Hartley and Paul McClain. And the list goes on and on where there's so many examples of coaches that we thought did an amazing job. And then two years later, they were fired. And it's like, how do they go from being the best coach in the league to all of a sudden without a job? And it's probably because we got it wrong. So I, that's where I struggle with it. I do. I want to see a coach like I want to be able to point to certain adjustments that a coach made either in the offseason or in the season so that I I can like kind of trace the job they've done. Right. And that's why I like Gwenville here because you can make the argument that he really is getting the most out of the personnel he has where they let Dadanov and Hoffman go. They replace them with Alex Wenberg, Anthony Duclair, Carter Verhage, and they basically get Patrick Hornquist back and turn in like a salary dump when they uh, got rid of Matheson's contract and he makes the risky choice, I think, of splitting up Huberto and Barkov, who had played full-time before in the past. And I don't know if a lot of coaches would have done that or had the power to do so. Maybe their GM or their owner would have been pretty upset if they had done so, but Quenville has the gravitas to be able to pull that off. And so now he's using Huberto, Wenberg, and Hornquist in this super-sheltered role where they're just out in the offensive zone, which makes sense given their skill sets. And he's using Barkov as a matchup center and... He's getting the most out of both of those lines. And so I do think that kind of answers your question of how this team that doesn't necessarily look deeper than they've been in the past is getting better results. And I think it's because they're being coached better to get the most out of their players. I love that. You know, I, I, I I'm with you in that we don't, there's so much we don't know with that award. It's, it's, it, it is a tricky one. Um, yeah, the Panthers are legit, eh? Like, I, I'm all in for... I've just taken this conversation wherever I want, but Panthers-Lightning playoff series, like, I am all in for that. Yeah, it's I amazing actually want that, that to be a rivalry, like a real one. 
they're fourth, I believe, in the league in point percentage, and two of the teams ahead of them are in their own division in Carolina and Tampa Bay. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're I think they're good. I'm not necessarily sure they're a top four team in the league, but I certainly think they're better than they've been in the past. I have Brindamore, Colleton, and I have Sheldon Keefe on this list because defensively, I do think they have made adjustments since last year, and we've seen them in certain games, and so. Um, Barry Trotz is the best coach in the league, though, right? Like, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think so. I didn't. I didn't pick Sheldon Keith because I didn't want to be the homer pick like Emily. So, but I don't understand. I didn't even grow up in Chicago. I've lived here four years. <laughs> here, here's here's my I thing. I always these radio heads, and people are like, "Oh, you must be sad about the Bears this week." Sorry, go on, <laughs> Dimitri. <laughs> um no i love this uh, i love uh every time you, you bring up a blackhawks player we'll make, we'll make sure to uh, circle back to it no here's the thing with trots though there aren't many too, more, too many more to bring up in the realm no. of this conversation <laughs> no no that, that's true um here's my thing with trots like yes they made the conference finals last year and they've been good the past couple of years right but if you just looked like if you did a blind resume if you just looked at their depth chart and their personnel not to take anything away from those players, because I do think individually there is talent there. But you you probably wouldn't make the argument that they're going to be leading their division right now in a division with, like you'd say, like probably, oh, the Rangers, look how much talent they have. Oh, the Penguins, they've got Crosby and Malkin. Oh, uh, Ovechkin and Baxter with the Capitals. Even the Flyers, look how good they were in the second half of last year. And once again, you've got Barry Trotz and the Islanders, top five in every single defensive metric across the board. Except this year, they're actually dominating at five on five in terms of possession, and and it seems like they're actually controlling play quite a bit and kind of asserting themselves. And I watched that game last night against the Bruins, where they wound they wound up winning two one in a shootout. The Bruins had one high danger attempt in the third period in overtime, and like Islanders were just like, "Yeah, we're closing this down. You are not getting anything." And sure, it might suppress some of their own offense going the other way, but they also have Matt Barzell, who out of the blue can just create a, a goal individually, as we've seen a number of times, as, as Rasmus was aligned and unfortunately learned the hard way uh, recently. So it's given their personnel, like I, I know people begrudge them for, you know, sending hockey back 10 years and, 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 and playing a boring style that no one wants to watch, but you can't argue with the results. And if I was coaching this team, I would try to do the same thing because they're not going to win a lot of games playing five, four and trying to open it up like the Leafs do. And if it was easy, other under talented teams would be doing it with somewhere near the same effect. And and we just don't see that. Right. I mean, other teams overmatched are getting their, their boots kicked in on this, in this league. So yep. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think really high Barry uh, in terms of what he does and, you know, I just made that joke about two one games because I was at too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, the heart. CJ. Connor McDavid. Is this really that controversial? He just didn't I mean, want to pick Austin Matthews because he is in fact a homer and just needs to mask it. No, no, that one I would tell you. If I you know, I, I think Austin's in the conversation for sure. Um, but for me, like there's a danger, I guess, because we try to get cute on sometimes like we're wondering what we miss with awards. I think there's a danger of overthinking this one. And, and, you know, he, Connor's this year does have a lot of the underlying metrics going more in his favor than at other times. He's outpacing the league. The Oilers still are just a two-star team. Honestly, I've watched a lot of the Canadian division, the North division, because I live here and I work these games 
And so I've watched the Oilers a lot closer than I would have these past seasons. And I have, I would have hard trouble in, in being real with you guys and picking someone else. I mean, I think Vasilevsky could get some love or I think we can build a case for other players. Um, but right now it's got to go to Connor for me. It's always interesting to me of the goalie for heart trophy conversation. Like last year I could have made a real case for Connor Hellebuck. And I think he might've even been on my ballot just because he was the best player on that team and an elite player. Um, right. Like Vasilevsky is playing at such a high level, but he just has so much support around him that I probably would go with a skater for this. Um, I, I really feel like I'm about to get attacked and I, I'm like a little nervous to say this, but like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, How did Duncan really... Keith not come up on your Norris ballot? Uh, he's number five right behind Dora through Dowdy. I don't know. I'm living in 2000. Um, but uh, no, Patrick Kane is just, look, he's dynamic. He's top five in the league in points right now. Um, far and away better than all of his teammates talent wise. There's one other guy who I'll probably talk about later um, who is doing well for them. Um, and and I, I think it's always, like for me, he's the Nathan McKinnon choice, the Panarin choice, where it's like you are this far and above ahead, the Taylor Hall choice of yeah, all your choices. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. To your point on, on the goalies, I almost like whether it's right or wrong, disqualify them from even my my thinking for this award because they play the most valuable position. So like Connor Hellebuck was very clearly the most valuable player in the NHL last year because without him, they would have been atrocious. But all the goalies are the most valuable. Like literally for every team, their goalie is probably their most valuable player because it's the most valuable position. And so once you open that door, you can really talk yourself into the ballot, just representing the, the Vesna trophy ballot basically. Right. So, um, I struggle without McDavid is on pace for 137 points over an 82 game season. Um, People like to make fun of him, uh, calling him a power play merchant because all he does is, is score on the power play. He's tied for the league lead in five on five points as well. Um, He's CJ, not you mentioned much Dreisaitl at five on five. I mean, he has in the last week, but like in yeah. general, also. Yeah, CJ, and I think that's a, that's a great point because that was the one sort of flaw that I actually had time for. You and I talked about this in, in the preseason, right? We wanted to see what would happen because I'm sure McDavid was paying attention to what people were saying about his defensive flaws and how that was the only uh, concern in his game. And he did exactly what I was hoping he would do in the sense that he got better at defense by just always having the puck. And it helps... Um, especially in the minutes he's played with Nugent Hopkins and Pugliarvi because they've forechecked so well. But instead of just being kind of a one-and-done rush team where he either scores a highlight real goal or if he doesn't, the other team's coming back on a three-on-two and they might give up a goal. Um, they're just having these extended shifts in the offensive zone where like, they're getting multiple looks and staying in there and tiring out the opposing defense and, and, and not having to waste McDavid's energy chasing back on D because he just has the puck. And so it's really a, a pretty flawless uh, candidacy, in my opinion, Matthews's 16 game point streak there was was pretty obscene because he outscored all of the all the teams they played at five on five single handedly 11 to nine in those 16 games, which I just thought was my most hilarious stat. But um, I, I think we're overthinking it if we if we if we go away from McDavid here because do you, do you guys agree that he's kind of desensitized us in the sense that he does something and unless it's a goal it's almost like not worth talking about because he just made it look so easy. Whereas if literally any other player on the planet just had a coast to coast rush that he had and didn't even wind up in a shot attempt, 
you'd be like, that was the craziest play on ice that I've seen this season, but he just does it like every other game. And so it's not even worth talking about. Yeah. And I think the fact that dry is there, obviously like just by the strict definition of this award, I didn't feel like dry could win it last year yeah. because you know, I, and I'm not really taking away from his season. I'm, you know, cause he, he look at, he's been a beast, but like the player most valuable to his team. I don't know how anyone is, I, I know you have your goalie theory there, Dimitri. In, in Edmonton, the, the goalie is not the most viable player. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think maybe he's hurt, though, because Drysaddle is also an amazing player. And, and last year, you know, he's basically had 50 goals, 100 points, I think, each of the last two seasons. It's hard to separate them sometimes, or and they miss the playoffs one year. But, yeah, it, I'm not saying he has to win this year, but to me, it's it's pretty clear-cut at this stage of the season. Yeah, I agree. What do you, how do you feel about uh, not to get you in trouble here, but the uh, the North Division argument? Where do you stand on that in terms of just um, whether it is inflating the the offensive totals and whether because you're right, you mentioned earlier it's really tricky to just compare players in different divisions because they're just they're they literally are not playing the same teams if they're in different divisions. I actually think it's bullshit the argument that that's that's started to circulate. CJ, on there's this. children listening right now. We're drinking beers and we're talking about awards halfway through a season. You can say whatever you want. Exactly. If we're this deep in, you know, you, you've signed up for this. So you, you're going to get the odd uh, cuss word. But you no, know, honestly, in, in all seriousness, if you look at this division off the top of my head, you've had McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Marner, Shifley at minimum, I think Wheeler too, have all been top 10 scorers in like the last three years at some point, and in, in some cases, multiple of those years. So, I mean, you already just have a collection of what have been the best offensive players anyway, like in any division. And and if you look at the, the goals per game for the teams, like it's not significantly inflated. I think all that's happening is that you've just combined most of the elite offensive talent in one division, but I don't think it's not all eight, seven, right? Like, I think that that's kind of the narrative that maybe is born out of this, but you know, I think if you look at the numbers, it's not that crazy. Basically my, what I'm getting at here is I think all these guys would be up in, in and around the top scorers in any division in, in any schedule format or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't think they're significantly benefiting because yeah, we can point to Ottawa, which is actually winning more games lately, but there's crappy teams in the other divisions too. Like a lot of teams feasting on Buffalo this year. Um, you know, some of these teams are getting to play the California teams, which still aren't fully out of the woods. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I I guess my point is, is I, I think it's overstated how much it's being inflated. Uh, but I do think it's a factor in general with the voting. It's just, especially when you get to something like the Norris, like, cause different defensemen are facing different level of competition offensively. You know what I mean? Like that's where I find it harder, but when we're talking about point totals, I, I don't have as much time for that argument. I think one of the issues that I've heard come up for a couple of people is that writers who vote for these awards are disproportionately based in the North Division and therefore following the North Division. Um, and to that, I say, well, like, what are we going to do? This is the hand we were dealt. And for our voters, and, and Chris and I are, are proud members of PHWA, um, as are you, Dimitri. Um, yes. Uh, we just have faith in everyone that they're going to do their homework and then they're going to study up because it's a privilege to vote. This is serious stuff. It affects guys' careers. It affects signing, you know, performance bonuses, things like that. Um, and I don't think it's, it's really going to sway. And if it does, it's an unusual year. 
Well, and the, and the greatest comeback, of course, you know, I think there's probably more people based in Toronto or around Toronto area. Just it's the biggest hockey market in the world. It's not like the Leafs have had a run on award winners. I mean, now partially, of course, it's because they haven't had the players too. But like, my point is, I don't think that there's a compelling argument that that that's affected voting. I mean, yeah, there's maybe been some mistakes made, but I don't think it's out of like getting the local guy an award. I think it's more, you know, yeah, different no one, views on how these things go. No one hates the Leafs more than than local Toronto writers based on some of the uh, William Nylander takes that I've seen over the years. So, um, what was your tweet the other day, CJ? I was dying. About oh, so here's the backstory on that. It, I, I was, I had to cover the Leafs road trip from my couch in, through Western Canada. So every night I'm up at like midnight local time, watching a game on the couch, you know, having to do a zoom call after write stories, do TV, whatever. It's like, I just was bored, frankly, just like long days. And Neil Andrew was having like a viciously good game in Vancouver. I thought he didn't score or anything, but he just was like awesome. And I just said something like we could feed entire countries. If we just burned all the hot takes or something like that, that have been written about him. And like multiple writers in the market thought I was like targeting them, which actually wasn't really my intent. It's just, we, we've gone through five years of like every time he goes three games without a point, like it's gotta be like this, you know, this whole, is he any good? Can they win with him? Like just, it's just like, it's never just like, Hey, maybe he had a couple bad games. Maybe he's not being deployed properly. Maybe John Tavares, center is not having the best season. It's never that it's always, it always with him goes back to like, can you, can this guy even be in the league at this point? <laughs> and so like, anyway, I just, I was trying to be funny, but I pissed some people off, I think. And whatever. It's all good. Well, let me just tell you, CJ, I've spent many hours with you, especially this past year when we were in the bubble in Edmonton. And like, that's the funniest you've ever been to me. <laughs> I think you're always think funny, CJ. CJ. No, that was really funny. It's uh, I've just, made I've me laugh. decided I've decided in the pandemic, honestly, I'm just going to put myself out there more in stuff like this and just be more myself. Cause like, that's something I would definitely say to my friends or text to Emily or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know. I feel like this at the end of the day, this is still entertainment. It's sports, you know, we've been kidding around it, but like I'm sharing my running stuff. I normally would never do that. You know, I'm, I'm just, I feel like why, why take any of this too seriously? It's been a hard year for everyone. Let's just be real. You're an absolute gem. And I honestly open Twitter every morning, just waiting to see which team you're going to pronounce as the next juggernaut. So, um, oh I'm, 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 st I'm still waiting on that. And when but, will um, it be my Chicago Blackhawks? I love this. I love the blogger energy, CJ, just like sitting at home, <laughs> CJ after dark, just tweeting stuff to rile people up. That was, uh, that was me in like 2014. So this is, this is great. Well, it's maybe because I've never experienced a season like this as a sort of quote unquote working journalist, right? I mean, normally, honestly, I would be on that road trip or I wouldn't be working from home anyway, too often. Um, not not in the way that it is now, like where I literally have to watch the game closely and like try not to get distracted, which is really hard. I'm not good at that. Like I find it way easier to be in the rink because like what else am I going to do? I'm going to watch the game, right? I'm, that's what I'm there to do. But at home, there's just there's a fridge and just, I don't know, there's other things to do that could get in the way, but yeah, maybe I'm just letting it all ride, but I, I'm not stopping honestly, unless my bosses tell me I have to. <laughs> I love it. I hope they don't. Um, all right, let's rattle. We did all the main, main awards. Let's quickly rattle through, uh, some of the made up ones that I sent you guys. So, um, Emily, I'll, I'll give you an easy one here. The bounce back award 
which player has bounced back. And, and I, let me preface this by saying the reason why I wanted to do this was because I always get uncomfortable with the Master Award because it feels like people are just like arguing over which person has experienced the worst tragedy. And that's like, I, it, I just, I don't know. It seems like a weird thing to, to celebrate in a way. So I would prefer to just like, in terms of the on ice product, like which player performance wise for you, um, that had a rough year or a rough couple of years or whatever has, has bounced back to, uh, a certain level. Well, I said a rough couple of years. Um, for me, I, I mentioned them earlier. It's just the Kings. Um, it's the team that I feel like is going exactly according to plan or exactly where they want to be, where they've got the young guys starting to contribute and the old guys that they kept around are still playing well. Dustin Brown, like leading that division in goals is just astounding to me. Um, maybe he'll slow down eventually, but I just want to give him a shout out here. Yeah. yeah but what, th- you know what's great about this one? I think that there's like legit 10 people we could. Oh yeah. Of course. Yep. This one. Sorry. What were you going to say though, Dimitri? Oh, I was going to make a joke about, well, yeah, Dustin Brown scoring a lot of goals, but he gets to play against the ducks and the sharks. So, I mean, are they inflating his totals? But he plays against the wild, everyone's favorite team. That's true. Yeah, That's true. They're not talking about the West division being inflated. What's going on? <laughs> CJ, who's, uh, who's your bounce back? I'll probably go Mark Andre Fleury. We've been over his season, yeah. but last year was a disaster. This year, this is unexpected. You know, I, I had Alex DeBrinket down, James Van Riemsdyk. You know, Steven Stamkos his his goals per shift are down since the bubble, but uh, you know, after the bubble, <laughs> he's having he's having a pretty good season. Um, but there's a whole host of guys. I, I'd probably go with Flurry if I had one vote to cast. But but it, you know, there's. This is actually maybe what the Masterton should be, honestly. I mean, it's not up to me to rework these awards, but I'm guessing every year there's a sort of hockey argument to to be had around this. I think it's much more interesting, personally. Like, I I understand giving people, like, some love for overcoming off-ice hardships and persevering. Like, I totally understand the, the, the root of it. But the arguments that result from it are always so cringe for me. It's like, uh, all these people have had a rough person's tragedy yeah. to another person's tragedy. Yeah. Is it's not That's a good why I think it should just be something separate where we don't vote on it. It's just awarded and we can celebrate that person and their journey. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. Uh, you, you had some great ones. I, I'd add Justin Falk, who I thought mm. looked bad in his first year in St. Louis. And I was, he was starting this mega contract this year. So I was like, wow, this is going to be a disaster. Yikes. And and he's looked awesome. Um, I mentioned him earlier. Yessi Pugliarvi is my mm. candidate here because I don't know, CJ, I don't know how many conversations you had about this or, or sort of what you know behind the scenes, but the sense I got was like, I wasn't expecting him to play in an Oilers uniform again. I understand it helps that they got a new GM and a new coach and, and certainly um, the opportunity to potentially play with McDavid or Dreisaitl is like a pretty good way to rebuild your value in the league. So it makes sense from a business decision, but like it seemed like that relationship had uh, almost reached the point of no return in, in, in some sense. And I wondered whether we'd see him or when we'd see him again. And for him to be playing on a top line and, and producing and being one of the best net front guys in the league so far is, is an amazing uh, reversal considering where we were at like a year ago with him. Yeah. And the cool thing with Puljujarvi when he went back to Finland last season, early in the year, he had a pretty good points and like he was among the leaders in the league and goals and stuff, but he had like kind of a slow second half. And I heard a lot of people saying like, Oh, can this guy, you know, he can't even hack it in the Finnish league. He's not even starring over there. Like that's when I started to wonder what his future was. And, and now it looks totally different. So I think you're fair to, to pick that. I mean, it helps that Ken Holland has been around too. He's a new GM, but he's also not 
he's not an emotional GM as much as some others. I think, you know, when he has all those Stanley cup rings in his uh, safe deposit box, I guess he's just can, he can chill out a little bit more and not have to overreact to everything. And I think that his guiding hand here helped, uh, you know, make this, make this right. All right. Well, give me your, uh, give me your most underrated player, CJ. And if you say Sasha uh-huh. Barkov. No, I hate this question. <laughs> well, I, give me, give me, a, give me a player that you think nationally doesn't get enough love. Like you watch them play and you're like, why are people not more excited about this player? It can be a young player. It doesn't have to be a veteran. Sure. So I, I actually cheated on this one and texted a few people like scouts and that. Nice. And Flex. Flex. What? what? I did homework. I talked, listen, I talked to some GMs, some former Hall of Famers, and uh, no, I came up with a good answer. The problem is the answer that I got most overwhelmingly from them is one I know that you're probably going to pick, and it was Connor Garland, who I know you've yes. been tweeting recently. Yep. But he was the most common name to come back that way. Um, I'll be full honest. I haven't watched the Coyotes much, but you know I'm aware, obviously, what he's up to. Uh, but I, I haven't watched him a ton. You know, I, to me, like, how do I pick this? Cause I don't know what you guys think of great players. You know, I, I think that Michael Backlund in Calgary doesn't get enough love. I think Matthias Ekholm to me is like a little bit underrated and he's obviously in the news a little bit more cause he might be traded. Um, I find this one challenging, but I'll, I'll say Connor Garland before you can Dimitri. Yeah. I would say, uh, Backlund's teammate, Andrew Mangiapani underrated by even his own coaching staff or, or former coaching staff because he was not being played enough. Um, Garland, I know a lot of people don't watch Coyotes games. Go watch the two minute clip I put up of him big time. Brad Marchand vibes, I think without the licking and the shenanigans, uh, because <laughs> listen, he's like a short, he's undersized. He's not the fastest player. He doesn't have blazing speed. And usually those players get overlooked. And he was a fifth round pick who took three or four years to, to make an impact in the NHL. And he's 24 now. But he's just so nifty that he's like in that clip, you'll see like he's going up against Colton Pareko, who looks like an entirely different physical specimen than him. And he's just like getting low and getting under Pareko. And Pareko almost doesn't know what to do because he's like, how do I like my body physically cannot bend that low on these skates. And so he winds up like taking penalties and tripping all over him. And like Garland makes him look silly. And very few players in the league can do that to Colton Pareko and, and his sort of just ability to constantly make defenders look like they don't know what they're doing. And like they're slipping all over the ice is uh, a really fun quality. So I agree with Garland. I'm glad that the scouts agreed. Although maybe now I need to rethink him being underrated because it seems like he's being rated pretty highly. Uh, Emily, who do you have here? I just throwing Garland last year. I just want to say like, he's a feisty, fun personality. And he also put in a ton of effort um, when he was in the AHL on his shot, which I think is really improved. Um, I had a couple answers. I thought Hooper Joe would be the obvious pick that everyone was going to go with, because I feel like he's inherited the title from his teammate. Barkov mm-hmm. is the most underrated in the league. I think Alex Dabrinkit. Um, I liked where you put him um, DJ for best bounce back, but I don't think people really give him enough credit just because Blackhawks have been irrelevant in the last couple of years. But my answer here. I have watched one too many Detroit Red Wings games this year. This is what we're doing south of the border, guys. Um, and every time I watch them play, and when he's playing, Dylan Larkin is a monster waiting to be unleashed. Like, his production is not there. I think it's a byproduct of the talent around him. I just think he does all of the little things really, really well. Competitive as hell. Once the Red Wings are good, it's going to be stardom to him. I just hope they're good while he's still in his prime. Right, because he's, he's had to come in in this weird vacuum, right, from what they were to what they're going to be. And he's yeah, like he was there the last year of the playoffs streak. Right. 
yeah physically just one of the most gifted players in the league i think um so yeah mm-hmm. I, i'd love to see the talent around him get better and see what what that does to his game um i lost track of whose turn it is to go first but the best acquisition i think it's you emily i'll go quick and easy and i, I know it's not technically an acquisition but damn three GMs tried to get this guy to come over and one finally did. And that's Bill Guerin. And they brought over Kirill Kaprizov. And as we said, he changed the complexion of the team. Uh, the fact that they got him signed, I think he's the best acquisition. That's cheating. He was already on the team, I guess in the okay, organization. Fine. I'll say Tyler Toffoli like the rest of you. All right. All right. I got Toffoli. I mean, 4.25 million. He lasted into free agency. He waited around for Vancouver and nearly saw all his opportunity dry up to the point that I think Ottawa might've been the only other real bidder for him at the end. Uh, by the time he was ready to sign, cause other teams had moved in other directions, 15 goals. Uh, I'm sure there's some shooting luck in there. I actually haven't looked into that, but it seems not too seems crazy like considering safe. how many goals he has. Right. He's, he's, like a, he's a volume shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. But, you know, I think for what Montreal needed that, that he's not on a crazy free agent deal. Um, that's a, that's a great acquisition. I'll go, I had to Foley, but I'll go with Carter Verhage just to keep my, uh, mm-hmm. analytics hipster card, as well as my pro hockey writers vision card. Um, he's been awesome playing with, with Barkov scoring a ton. Uh, just a really nice compliment to him. CJ, I thought you were going to go with, uh, off the board here with the eventual top six winger, the Leafs are going to acquire. Which one? Well, I, I, I don't want to do your job for you. I mean, uh, well, I wish I knew the answer. It's like every time I do a radio hit in Toronto, there's someone else there telling me they're going to, everyone's telling me to come in here. So, yeah, I, I think Alex Iafalos actually might be the guy, believe it or not, which is not getting much love, but yeah, we'll I like see. him as a player. I, I feel like the Kings are going to want to keep him, but um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think that. I've seen people who probably have not watched him as much or don't have a good gauge um, undervalue how much it's going to take to get like Philip Forsberg or Ricard Raquel. Like I feel like Leafs fans are just like, Oh, let's just go get them. And it's like, those are really good players that are, that are signed. I, I feel like, you know, even though the Preds clearly are probably headed in a different direction here, it's like, I wouldn't be in the process of giving away Forsberg just for the sake of rebuilding. So um, we'll see. I, I think the price is going to be pretty, pretty rich. So I'm not sure if that's in the cards, but it, if you need something like a, a complimentary winger that can play on the second line is probably the best need you can have because there are a lot of those guys to go around. Right. And they, and a lot of them don't carry the name value of Forsberg, right. And probably the acquisition cost. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I guess if Tyler Toffoli is available, the Leafs could use him. Uh, okay. The last one, the best follow-up act. And the way I thought about this one was like a player who you watched last year, or you just looked at their numbers and you were like, is this player actually this good? It seems like they've never done this before. And then this year they're, they're either following it up or got even better. So it could be a young player. Um, but it could be a guy who kind of just came out of nowhere and is in their late twenties as well. So, uh, CJ, you can go first on this one. Is there someone that came to mind with, uh, with this category? Yeah, we've got sample size issue here, but I'm going to go with Chris Dreger uh, of nice. the mighty Florida Panthers, who've gotten all kinds of love on this podcast, if we're being honest. The, Not the, as much as my Blackhawks love, but yes, they did get love. The rights holders love the Panthers. Um, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to tweet I'm out. I'm going to tweet out, like, tune into this podcast to find out which top six winger the Leafs are going to acquire. And then it's going to be us being like, we don't know, but here's 45 minutes on the Panthers. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> right. And so I, 
you know, Dreger had great numbers last year. You know, obviously Bobrovsky did not. Uh, he's followed up this season. He's a UFA after the year, which is kind of interesting. And yeah, it's only 12 games last year and 12 so far this year. So I could be very wrong on this, but he's starting to look like it might not be a fluke. The reason why it's interesting is because Sergei Bobrovsky is making a lot of money and they invested high draft capital in Spencer Knight. So uh, it seems like the odd man out there would be the, the goalie that's played the best for them. So that's an interesting situation to follow. Emily, who's uh, your best follow-up slash this player is totally legit uh, nominee? So I kind of interpreted a little bit different and I actually went with two old guys that these are just two guys that I thought were washed up and I'm like, damn guys. Uh, one is David Perron. I, I keep waiting for him to regress, but he's still productive. Um, and the other guy, and I, I'm curious to see what you guys think of this one, but Joe Pavelski, I, and, and the, my thinking here is he's someone I'm like, okay, they bring him in just to be a playoff God and they don't expect much of him in the regular season. And he really didn't put up much production last regular season and they're out Tyler Sagan. They've been without Alexander Rodulov for a very long time. We know often is the problem and he's just totally carrying the load and 13 goals through 21 games is not something that we should shrug off. So captain America, I choose you. Yeah, I, I guess old guy too well, and he's not yeah. old, but he's like, he's almost my age, which makes him old in hockey player years. So, yeah, I guess the only reason I didn't consider him is just because he was so good in the bubble, but yeah, you're right. I mean, based also on his regular season last was, year. Yeah. So good in the bubble. We see him in the bubble again, that good, but right now, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, I have two. Emily, you're gonna love this one as uh, as the newest Kings beat reporter, um, Cal Cal Peterson, who yeah. is very clearly Los Angeles's best goalie. And uh, I'm really curious to see. I, I think Quick's kind of day to day right now. Might be a bit banged up, but um, I'd love to see him just just roll with him and see what you've got because it's a small sample size, but. Every time he's played, he's put up good numbers. And, and last year, it was like a really small sample size, but he was one of the best goalies. And, and once again, he's following it up. So I really like him. And, and the other one is Brian Rust, who hey. 28-year-old who just comes out of nowhere and has a point of game last year. And it's like, oh, the Penguins did it again. Who's this random guy? And watching him a lot this year, he on most nights, he is Pittsburgh's most dangerous player, which is remarkable to say, given all the talent they have. But I don't know how they do it, but they uncovered a... A new guy and Brian Russ, so he's he, he's legitimately good. The last year and a half or two years of Penguins, like if you just see their line rushes but never watch them play, you'd be convinced they're making up names. You're like, yeah. that is not an NHL player. Um, they they just invent rosters, and now my former colleague Brian Burke's in there pulling strings. Nice. Um, all right, that's going to be it. I think we hit all the awards. Um, let's plug some stuff, Emily. What uh, what are you working on right now? Do you want to talk a little bit about the big news today? I'll kind of leave the floor here to you to just uh, take it any way you want. I think I'm just going to be a lame duck until the beginning of next season um, until I'm a rights holder and I get all the access. So nothing I'm working on. I'm really pumped uh, for this new ESPN deal, though. It's going to be great. Um, Seven years. It's just it's good for God, the sport. And if there's Canadians listening to kind of understand this, just to be in the ecosystem of ESPN. Like there was a player who texted me today and he's like, I can't wait for Stephen A. Smith to start debating about Connor McDavid. I'm like, that's exactly it. Like it's the visibility is going to be awesome. So Stephen A, if you're listening, hockey world's ready for you. I know. Just stir it up, man. I think we need more of that. Honestly. Yeah, and I, like the way ESPN treats its properties, we love drama, we love pettiness, and we love stars. 
and get ready because Austin Matthews has never seen what's about to come. He thinks he had Toronto media. Wait until he the end ringer. And honestly, the the NHL needs this. Like it's we, I I think everyone should want to grow the game and uh, get more eyeballs on it and get more attention. And this is a good way to grow towards growing the popularity and having more discussions about it. So I am all for it. CJ, what uh, what are you working on these days? You want to talk a bit about your running? Not really, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Emily's going to get more spotlight too. <laughs> I just set you up there. Nah, nah, I'm good. Just follow me. I know you're you're being nice, (laughs) but it's nice to see Emily uh, getting some spotlight too on the CSPN deal. It's much deserved. I think it's going to be great. Um, I'm running a marathon April 29th, raising money for COVID, uh, conquer COVID-19, a charity here in Canada that, um, what I love about them, honestly, the reason I got, I'm on a long running streak. The reason I'm on it is because I didn't know what to do. I was in a bad spot kind of in the start of the pandemic. I just focus on something small, which was running every day. It's become this, you know, those people literally were just, they're just normal people that like the minute the pandemic hit, they're like, what can we do? They start this charity. They didn't wait for permission. They didn't figure out the perfect plan. And they've like raised $3 million uh, in terms of putting PPE in places it hasn't been before at the start of the pandemic. Now they're focused on helping uh, feed people in our community uh, that, that, you know, this has obviously exposed some, some issues in our society, I just admire their spirit of starting where you are. That's how I got on it. And that's why I'm going to, for some reason, run 26.2 miles on April 29th, uh, raise some money for them and, uh, you know, hopefully earn the pizza I'm about to eat here for dinner. Flex again. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to be te- eating pizza, I'm texting running every day. Yeah. What a life I to live. Too I'm much. trying but to you stay employed, too. I, I, this is a contract here for me, so I got to... I got to keep my hustle up too on, at the works side of things. Well deserved. And if you need anyone to represent you, I've got all sorts of analytics that'll talk CJ up. So uh, I would be happy to, to do that. Uh, thanks for taking the time, both of you. I know you're really busy in your respective lives and uh, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this and maybe we can uh, circle back at the end of the season and see how things changed. Perfect. Would be fun. Thanks, Dimitri. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.